Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and this is the program. Our tagline here at Bottom Line Faith is eternal business and real life. This is the place where we love to have that conversation to talk about the integration of faith and leadership in the marketplace. And our goal here at Bottom Line Faith is to encourage you as a Christ follower in the marketplace to just, uh, through these conversations that we have with leaders, business leaders, um, entertainers, um, and and athletes even, but folks who are in high-profile, high-capacity leadership, to hear their stories, to hear what they've been through, best practices, failures, all those things, but how these stories can encourage you as a follower of Christ to influence the marketplace for Christ. I've got to tell you, I'm really excited to be here today with our special guest. I, I, I don't know exactly how many interviews we've done here at Bottom Line Faith, somewhere around 150 to 160, somewhere in there. We've been at this for over two and a half years now, and I'm excited because today is our first interview with a sitting full-time vocational pastor uh, who really had his background in beginning in investigative journalism. We're going to learn all about that. I am in the beautiful Connection Point Church in central Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis, and I'm speaking with Pastor John Dickerson, who is the lead pastor at Connection Point Church, uh, Connection Point Christian Church. Pastor John, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Hey, thanks for having me, Ray. It's great to be with you. Are you ready to get going? I am if you are. I yeah. am. I am absolutely excited about this. So um, for folks who may not be familiar with you and your background, just give us a snapshot, um, family, a little bit of your faith journey and some of your background, and then we'll talk about the, the things that are near and dear to your heart. Sure. So I'm married and have three elementary age kids and started my professional life as a journalist, did my undergrad in journalism, uh, started as a freelance writer and then newspaper editor for actually a very entrepreneurial uh, newspaper owner who now owns a family of about 30 publications. So mm-hmm. got to see the business side of uh, the news industry as well as obviously the news side of it. Yeah. Uh, then moved to a larger newspaper where I was an investigative reporter. And uh, it was during that time that I started attending seminary, actually as a hobby. Uh, I was okay. I was curious, I was skeptical, and it was actually the ancient manuscripts that, that really kind of got me into, I wanted to yeah. learn how to read that ancient Greek for myself. I'm just a nerd like that. And I uh, kept going through seminary classes, enjoying it. God was transforming my heart. And then eventually I uh, walked away from journalism, took over a church of 40 people in Arizona, and God grew that church pretty significantly, mm-hmm. and then I've been at a couple churches since and, and now serve out here in Indianapolis area. Well, uh, that, that's thank you for that background. And now, when we talk about your journalism career, I mean, it wasn't like this little, like, struggling 
guy at a local newspaper, right? I mean, you really had some significant platforms. And let me just read a little bit more about an introduction to John, because he certainly wouldn't say this about himself. But uh, you're a millennial. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, of course. And Guilty. What that, Guilty <laughs> what that is charged. Means. But uh, you're a best-selling author. How many books have you read, uh, written at this I've point? I've written four. Okay. Uh, well, technically five. There okay. are four out. My fifth one will come out about a year from now. Okay. So. All right. And we're going to specifically spend some time on your project Jesus Skeptic. Yeah. We're going to talk. That's going to be a fun conversation. But folks, his writings have appeared in the New York Times, USA Today. He is an, a, a multi-honor uh, winning um, journalist. Uh, you have been on CNN, ABC, most of the major networks and programs in your journalism background. Is that right? Well, mostly I did print. So, But okay. what I um, earned some national awards yes. by those people. So Charles okay. Gibson, uh, yeah. Christiane Amanpour from yeah. ABC. ABC and CNN um, awarded me an award called the Livingston Award for okay. Young Journalists. That's that's one of a handful. So yeah. not a TV guy, not but a, TV a guy. print right. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about that just for a moment today in this media-driven world. What role um, do you think that the media is playing in shaping worldview? What role do you see media playing in affecting Christianity? Yeah both to the positive to the negative. I'm just curious what your thoughts are uh, It's such a great question, because I, I meet many sincere Bible-believing Christians who feel a, a great tension between them and, and quote, the media. Yep. It, what I found working in newsrooms is that most of the producers, most of the editors, most of the writers and person people you'd see on screen, uh, most of them grew up in very non-Christian environments, went to Ivy League or similar universities, and they've lived their entire life uh, in a world that's just very different from what we would call evangelical Christianity. And part of that's geographic. Uh, if you get to New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, you're more likely to to meet folks like that, especially blue-blooded type people who are born into kind of middle-upper class, intellectual, third, fourth generation Ivy League. And uh, I remember many people I met in those circles where really they hadn't met a sincere evangelical Bible-believing Christian before mm. who wasn't a weirdo. Uh, so I remember one newsroom in particular where when they found out that I was a sincere Christian and I took the Bible seriously, they thought I was like wanting to bomb abortion clinics. They thought I was part of a cult. They wow. thought I was a total weirdo. And of course, you know, the fun of that, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, you have coworkers who have that same uh, worldview, that same ideology. That's all they've known. And the really fun thing is with time, we get to prove them wrong. Yeah, We get to yeah. show them uh, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. We get to show them the love of God, and we get to kind of uh, destroy the stereotype they have of us. So where I try to encourage Christians, especially when they say, well, isn't the media biased, or isn't the media anti-Christian? Well, the the people who are writing a story or reporting it are telling it from their worldview lens. And if they have a worldview lens where Christianity is just a non-factor or it's just one cultish type religion, then that's going to come across in their yeah. reporting. And it's not necessarily a hostility, though it could be. But most of the time in my experience, it's more just a, a total blind spot. And that's genuinely how they see the world, which is why we need people in the marketplace. Yes. We need yeah. believers in journalism. We need believers who are working as executives 
and media companies. We need believers right where God has placed each one of you listening so that you can be the living, breathing example of Jesus who debunks the stereotype that all Christians are hateful, backward, closed-minded bigots, and you can show that a follower of Jesus is thoughtful and listens and asks questions and cares, and while we are committed to the unchanging truth, we hold it in a way that's full of grace. Okay. Uh, that is such a powerful response and such a, an amazing foundation upon which to build this conversation. So let me ask this. Just as those with that worldview, let's you know whether it's a secular worldview, progressive, whatever terminology we would put to it, that comes with its limitations, that comes with its downsides. So does coming to those relationships having only been in a Christ-centered bubble, right? If yeah. we grew up in a Christian home, always in church, went to a Christian college maybe, possibly that's the case. So what what are some of the lessons that we need to have in mind, some of the principles, some of the disciplines yeah. that we need to have as Christ followers who maybe have walked with Christ most, if not all of our lives, that will help us break and debunk. I loved your word, debunk some of those stereotypes. Yeah. Walk us through some of those things. Well, I, I, I think my favorite principle in, in this realm is a passage of Scripture in First Peter, where Peter says, uh, and by the way, he's talking to Christians who live in a hypersexual pagan society. So that's most of us, right? Whether you're in sales or no matter what part of your business you work in, there's times that you're at a conference or yeah. <laughs> around the water cooler and you feel like, man, God, how do I live for you among pagans? And that's where I love the book of First Peter. It's written to believers who are staying true to Christ in a hypersexual pagan society that actually hated Christians probably more so than than what we experience, though we all experience some persecution, but you know we're not Nero-like persecution. So, in that passage, Peter says, "Live such good lives among the pagans, that even though they accuse you of doing wrong." they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So to me, such a rich verse. Live such good lives among the pagans. And I want to encourage everyone listening, you're working in the marketplace, not by accident. God ordained from eternity past that you would work right where you're working right now because he wants you among the pagans. Uh, I know a lot of times I'll meet business leaders and others who as they really start to grow in their relationship with God, they'll say, I I think the next step is for me to become a pastor. Mm -hmm. Well, if God calls you to do that, absolutely do it. Um, but uh, we need believers living among the pagans. So don't sell yourself short or underestimate the mission field that you're in. I um, mean, that's one of the things I miss the most now that I am a lead pastor of a large church is I'm surrounded by Christians all the time. Yeah. And I start to talk like a Christian and think like in group think, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm less sharp. Um, so, so stay stay aware of your mission field and value that uh, God has people in your office and on your team that you're leading and on the per even the person you report to who may be difficult, who no one else can show them 
who Jesus is other than you. And God placed you there. So live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong. So the assumption there is there will be times where we are treated unjustly because we're followers of Jesus. Whether that's outright political, you know, persecution like the Christians faced under Nero, or uh, someone steals your idea and they know you're probably not going to get back at them like everyone else would because you're one of those Jesus people and you're kind of soft in their mind. But, <laughs> you know, when people accuse us of doing wrong or they take advantage of us, it says, live such good lives among the pagans that even when they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the, really the point of that verse is that our actions speak louder than our words. I think as American Christians, we tend to default to arguing our position, convincing people. There's a place for that. You know, faith comes by hearing, but very often the soil is softened uh, before the seed is planted, the soil softened by those good deeds that are described there. So it might be as simple as getting Starbucks coffee for the person who hates you in the office. Uh, it might be the coworker who's LGBT and they expect because you're a Bible-believing Christian that you're going to hate them or be weird around them, but you show a genuine interest in yeah. who they are and what they care about and you listen. And um, you, it, we don't change the truth, but we go out in love just like Jesus did, and we build the relationship through those good deeds. So that, that'd be my my key verse, especially working in those v- very liberal newsrooms okay. where I was the only believer. Yeah, yeah. Was, and, yeah. And, and a lot of our audience are business owners, CEOs, presidents, and sometimes they own the company, and maybe they're a manager or something in, in the company, and they may not own it. But in any case, we are surrounded by non-believers. And in fact, I'm holding in my hand your book, Jesus Skeptic. Can we talk about this for oh, just I'd a moment? i love to, yeah. So folks, check this out. It's called Jesus Skeptic, A Journalist Explores the Credibility and Impact of Christianity. And in some of the notes, um, it seems like, John, every generation, maybe every 20 years, God brings along a, a, an apologist to really bring from a culturally relevant way the word, the scriptures, you know, whether it's C.S. Lewis, uh, Josh McDowell from back in the day, um, many of our audience would be familiar with Lee Strobel yeah. 20, 25 years ago, who was also a journalist, right? right? So what, tell us about this project, Jesus Skeptic, why did you write it, what do you hope to accomplish through it, and maybe we can dig into this just a little bit. Oh, I'd love to. So Jesus Skeptic is really written for the person who's doubting if Jesus matters. Uh, it might be the person in your life who's not a believer. Very likely, it's your children or grandchildren. You know, right now in the U.S., there's a trend of two out of three young people drifting away from the faith. So that's my generation, in particular, the millennial generation, and I was that statistic for a while. I'd been raised in a Christian home. I doubted if it was all true. God brought me back. And so really this book, Jesus Skeptic, is really written for them in particular. Um, And it's written as a book that you can give to anyone who has questions about Christianity. I think what's different about it than some of the other amazing apologetic works like Lee Strobel Mm -hmm. and Josh McDowell, who are, you know, 
intellectual titans compared to me. But in the book, Jesus Skeptic, I used a lot of my journalistic research skills. So there's a lot of visuals. There's a lot of images, what I call primary evidence. And where Jesus Skeptic is a little different is it makes the argument not only that Jesus existed, but that his followers have done more to improve humanity than any other group in history. And that, of course, is a countercultural argument right now. We live at a time when many people assume Christians are bigoted and backwards, but the evidence shows that it was followers of Jesus who created the university as we know it, the modern hospital as we know it, the end of slavery, and a number of other leaps forward for humanity, that if you were to remove those from history, we'd be living back in the dark ages. Uh, And because that's such a big claim that followers of Jesus did these things, that's why I show the evidence. I show the manuscripts so that none of this is my opinion. All right. And and without giving away, you know, all the uh, end of the story, so to speak, would you walk us through maybe an example or two or some evidence that you unpack in the book that would help the skeptic to at least, at the very least, understand that someone's faith was real? Yes. Maybe not yet prove Jesus, but prove that their faith was real enough for them to bring a transformation to the world. Yes. So a great example, I try to meet people where they're at. So since we're talking to business leaders, um, probably... Probably anyone you work with would understand the value of an MBA from Harvard. Yeah. Well, where did where did Harvard come from? You know, it's one of the top ten universities. It's usually ranked one or two in the world. Uh, and so, what I do in the book Jesus Skeptic is we look at where did the university come from, and it turns out it was followers of Jesus, um, starting with Oxford around 1000 AD, which was a church school uh, built around a Christian cathedral, and then graduates of Oxford started Cambridge. Graduates of Cambridge crossed the Atlantic and started started Harvard, which was started all by Christian pastors, including the Reverend John Harvard. And in the book, Jesus Skeptic, I actually show these founding charters. So I'll show like Yale's charter where it says, for the propagation of the Protestant Christian religion. Yeah. Um, Harvard's first code of conduct for its students, where it says, uh, this is how much scripture you need to be reading every day and why you need to know Hebrew and Greek so you can read the scriptures in the original languages. And the point is this, institutions like Harvard have have created uh, wealth for the world uh, in an era un- unlike any other era in human history, the amount of wealth that has been generated by the graduates of these universities. So in the book, Jesus Skeptic, I show the Christian roots of every one of these universities that leads the world, and I show uh, that they weren't just incidental or accidental Christians, that these top 10 universities and their offspring are where the state universities come from. You know, it would typically be a graduate of Princeton or Yale or Harvard typically a seminary graduate, a pastor who would go start something like the University of Michigan or another one of the state schools. So really, if you removed Christians from history, we wouldn't have higher education as we know it. And if we didn't have that, what kind of engineering would we have? What kind of medicine would we have? So a really incredible stuff to think about. And uh, to me, it's compelling because it shows a person, hey, even if you don't believe in God yet, Jesus is worthy of your consideration because his followers did that. Now, that's just one example. They've yeah. done the same in medicine, in human rights, lots of other areas. And so that's it's really fascinating, right? Because I, one of the guests I interviewed previously on the program, Peter Greer, who wrote Mission Drift. So I, we, I hear you talk about Harvard and Oxford and all these schools that we would not today associate with Christian roots and Christian right. foundation. Right. 
so I want to tie that back into the yep. marketplace leader. How do we, as followers of Christ in the marketplace, stay on mission for Jesus in this ever-increasing secular world? Yeah, it's such a great question. And let's acknowledge it seems like a really complex question. It's an incredibly important question. How do we make sure, you think of Harvard University, Princeton, and Yale, how did they drift? Each one of them, they've got a Bible in their crest, they've got scripture in their motto. How, how did they drift? And as complex as it seems, it always comes down to one very simple thing, and that is the Word of God. Each one of those institutions has a day in its history when their board of leadership voted and ultimately said the Word of God is no longer our binding guiding principle. Wow. And that's where the drift begins. And so the lessons the lesson for our lives is the word of God, the value of the word of God. If we're not actually reading it, if we're not actually doing what it says, then no matter how much we're giving to Christian ministries and even doing, if we stop making the word of God the standard for what we do and believe and our guide, our framework for our decisions, the moment we drop that we begin to drift. That is powerful. I, I did not know that, so thank you. I, I wrote some notes on that. I, that's if nothing else. That's my great takeaway today. Is it really is around the Word of God and, and the taking away of that is where we begin the mission drift, right? So uh, I'm gonna let me give, try to think how I want to frame up this next question. So as a millennial, and that's a term that uh, conjures up images. Oh yeah. And for all of us, in one way or another, social justice is huge. And for older folks, they hear the term social justice, and maybe they might equate that to, you know, doing good things in the world, but not understanding the biblical reasons behind it. To the younger folks, um, the social justice may be something important for them to do, and they may not fully understand the biblical foundation. Would you take a moment and give us an example or two of around this phrase of social justice with biblical connection yes. as it relates to some of the things you point out in Jesus' skeptic? Yes, and, and I want to encourage those listening, especially if you're you know above the age of 40 and you feel like when you talk to your kids or grandkids or nephews or nieces and social justice comes up and you just feel like, oh, there's such a divide here. How yeah. do I even connect with them? I think Martin Luther King Jr., MLK, uh, is a great place to start because he was the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. He was a Baptist pastor. I've got so many quotes from him in this book, Jesus Skeptic. He's one example of people who every atheist in our society today who values social justice would say, that's a great person. Mm -hmm. I want to be like MLK. And so then we can say, well, what made MLK like MLK according to him, not according to me as an old white guy. And I call myself an old white guy now, even though I'm a millennial. I just know I'm a pastor, so people view me, you know, all these stereotypes of our day. But, you know, what, what is it that MLK believed according to him? And that, to me, is what makes the Jesus Skeptic book really unique, is we, we say, what does he say motivated him? And then we look at his words, and it's the teachings of Jesus, and he's quoting Jesus. And then it's, well, that's not just Martin Luther King Jr., that's also Harriet Tubman. That's also Frederick Douglass, an African-American who not only fought his way out of slavery, but then gave his life to help end slavery at great risk to himself, where he'd go back into environments where mercenaries would try to kill him so that he 
could describe to Northerners the evils, the injustices of slavery, what was he motivated by? Well, according to his own biography, he was motivated by Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And so if we look at it objectively, then even even if we don't believe in God or religion, it turns out these followers of Jesus have really made the world a better place. And so, you know, Ray, I actually consider that a connection point. You know, it used to be that most people in society believed there was a truth. Mm -hmm. And so we could come to them as far as this apologetics, convincing them of, of Jesus and God, and say, what is the truth? I believe for my generation, millennials and younger, they don't believe there is a truth. And there's a lot of yeah. sociology about out there to confirm that. But what they do believe is we need to make the world a better place. So what Jesus Skeptic as a book does is it tries to meet them at that assumption because that's not a that's not a bad assumption. That's yep. something we have in common with them as followers of Jesus. We also want to make the world a better place. So we meet them on their turf. Okay, you want to make the world a better place? Let's take a look at famous people you know who did make the world a better place and then let's consider according to their own writings, what motivated them, oh, it turns out it's Jesus over and over again. Why is that? And why is it that no one else from 2,000 years ago is motivating people to make the world a better place? And why is it that one out of three people in the world today claim to follow this guy as Christians, uh, according to Pew Research Center? Um, and so it, it builds a case, to use seminary terms, I call it a social justice apologetic for a post-truth generation. That's a little bit nerdy. <laughs> Would you say that one more time? Yeah. I, that's that's pretty yeah. cool sounding. So uh, yeah, I'll actually that? add a couple words on there. A visually based, because there's tons of images yeah. and photos for an Instagram generation, a visually based social justice apologetic for a post-truth generation. Generation. Oh, wow. That's, that's fantastic. That's what the Jesus Skeptic book is. <laughs> so that'd be actually probably, uh, John, a good point. If someone is interested in uh, learning more about you, your work, your writings, your book, Jesus Skeptic, the other projects, what's the best way for them to uh, check you out? Yeah, you can visit johnsdickerson.com, S as in Stephen or Sam. That's my middle name. So I have a friend at CBS, John Dickerson, who is a more successful journalist than I ever was. Uh, he hosts 60 Minutes right now. So that's why I've got the S in there, John okay. S. Dickerson. And uh, same thing on uh, all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter is at John S. Dickerson. And of course, the books, including Jesus Skeptic, are available Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Oh, that's fine. Thank you for that. That's so folks, check it out, johnsdickerson.com. So John, I want to uh, just slightly transition a little bit and, and really go into the marketplace concepts and the issues for just a moment. Uh, as I said in the opening commentary here, our objective, one of our objectives here at Bottom Line Faith is to really encourage Christ followers who are in business, in the marketplace, to become who and what God's called them to be as a leader in the marketplace. So given all the research you've done, given the, um, you know, all the lessons you've taught and so forth, what are some of the biggest obstacles facing the Christ follower in business, in the marketplace, in being an effective witness to a non-believing post-truth generation? What are some of those obstacles? Uh, it's such a great question. And I, I, I'm going to speak from my own experience, uh, from the years I spent in a secular newsroom, uh, which is probably a, a pretty similar environment to most of you listening, working in, in various forms of business. I think one of the biggest obstacles is our own lack of intentionality. I think the fact that 
those of you listening to this are listening to this right now goes to show you're intentional. And I can't encourage you in that enough, you know, to show up to your office, to your sales calls on your work travel, show up like a pastor showing up on Sunday that, you know, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. And uh, whether you're working in engineering or applied composites, whatever it is that you're in, that workplace, those relationships, those people are the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And they're no less significant than a pastor preparing a sermon. Um, they're no less significant than a Billy Graham or, or any other believer. That is the good work God has prepared for you to do. And of course, we know that a thousand years from now, um, that company won't exist. The money you make won't exist. Um, the only things that will exist is your soul, the souls of the people around you, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God that's within you. Um, and so going into each day with that awareness of the, these these material and temporary things matter, and we use them for the glory of God. And as Jesus says, you know, use worldly wealth to do the work of God. Um, so they're not evil, and God is in all those daily things, but keep the perspective about what's actually eternal. And that soul of that coworker who may be antagonistic to you or may seem incredibly skeptical, uh, it will still be around in a thousand years. And God has placed you there, not necessarily so you can save them, because you can't save them, you can't argue them into the kingdom of God, you can't convince them. But your job is to be a faithful witness witness. Um, and when I get discouraged about being a faithful witness, whether that's now as a lead pastor or when I worked in a very liberal newsroom environment, I would go to Jeremiah chapter one. Because in Jeremiah chapter one, um, God pretty much says to Jeremiah, hey, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I created you for a purpose, and here's what it is. And that's true of every single one of us as followers of Jesus. And then Jeremiah says, well, I don't really want to go to those people and say what you told me to say. And I, I feel young. I feel insecure. He gives these excuses very much like Moses did. And God says, you know, pretty much forget your excuses. Don't say that stuff. <laughs> yep. Go to them and say what I told you to say. And then God more or less says how they respond is not how I'll judge you. How you're faithful is how I'll judge you. And so our definition of success is not, did I lead 10 coworkers to the Lord? Did I convince them? Our definition of success is, did I consistently show them, here's what a follower of Jesus looks like, including when I lost my temper and messed up, did I go back and show humility and authenticity? And if I was faithful in showing them through actions, and if I took the opportunities when God opened the door to say, here's why I'm different, and let me tell you about the God who made you. Did you know there's a God who made you and he loves you? And I, I looked for those openings to tell them about Jesus. If you at the end of your life can look back and say, I was faithful, then that is success, no matter what the results are. I love it. So that's the key. That's And it's a great, actually, transition, kind of the last section of three or four questions I have for you. Listeners here at the program know I love to get advice, right, from our guests. And so let's, um, let's just assume for a moment someone's listening to this conversation right now, and they're really discouraged, they're despondent, they're frustrated, whatever, because maybe um, they're being uh, asked or required to do something that's against their Christian values, uh, maybe to compromise on a deal or to cut corners or, or to, uh, who knows what, what it may be, maybe entertain clients in a way that's not godly. 
and yet they feel that pressure. I, I've got to provide for my family. I've got to keep this company going because of all these jobs and people who are depending on me, whatever the case may be, right? John, what word of encouragement would you have for someone who's feeling that pressure, who's feeling stuck? What advice would you have for them in living out their faith in such a time as that? Yeah, that's such a real struggle. And uh, I, I definitely remember that that tension at times as a journalist right. in, in a liberal, what we'd call it liberal, <laughs> progressive newsroom. And um, yeah, I want to go to the Word of God to answer that. And that is really, if you're in that situation right now, one, you're at a major life choice that has ramifications that are are actually way more significant than the ones you're thinking of. Um, you're thinking of your paycheck or your promotion. God's got a way bigger plan for you, and you're at a moment where your character is being tested. Yeah. Um, and and don't see it as a problem. See it as a test to pass. Uh, and God, of course, is who is grading, not your boss. Um, and the best example of this that I know of in Scripture is Daniel. I mean, he's living in Babylon, and he's told, eat this thing that you're not supposed to eat. Or he's told, you're not allowed to pray to your God three times a day. And he always does it humbly. He always does it respectfully, but he always sticks to his convictions, you know. Um, so if you know it's a non-negotiable moral thing. Now, you know, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Sometimes it's not a non-negotiable moral thing. Yeah. But if you know it's a non-negotiable moral thing, you know clearly what God's will for you is the situation in the situation, then be like Daniel. Uh, be humble about it, but say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and this is how I roll. This yeah. is what I do. And um, I, I believe I do a good job for you. I'll keep doing my best for you, but I can't do this or I can't do that. Uh, and God will provide, just like he did yeah. for Daniel. Amen. That's great. So uh, in this continuation of s some advice, um, as we're recording this conversation here at your church, you've been doing a series called At the Stadium, and you've you've interviewed uh, football players and so forth, right? And I just I'm setting up this question this way. Uh, it's also almost Super Bowl time. As we're recording this, we're just a few days away from the Super Bowl, and I was listening the other day on the radio, Michael Irvin, Hall of Fame wide receiver from the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And he was being interviewed about lessons learned over the mm. course of his life. And he said, here's how I learned this. He says, sometimes when I'm signing pictures, when I was young in my career, he says, I'll look at that young guy on that photograph and go, young man, you made a lot of mistakes and you cost me a lot of money. You were really stupid, right? <laughs> and it was just really funny to hear him express it that way. So while you're young, you're 37, I want you to look back mm. at the 20-year-old, the 21-year-old John Dickerson. And if you had a chance to sit down with him, what advice would you give that young man? That's uh, so good. Um, by God's grace, the thing I'd say to to keep doing that God allowed me to do in that season was um, surround yourself by people who are pursuing God. Uh, you know, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, um, you know, flee youthful lusts. But here's the positive. Pursue um, righteousness, faith, love, and peace together with those who call on God from a pure heart. So, you know, the, biz the saying in the business world, uh, if you want to see yourself in five years, show me your five closest friends. Um, and, and so that's by God's grace. Um, when I was a journalist, I started attending seminary as a hobby. I found a church out there in Scottsdale, Arizona called Scottsdale Bible Church and got in 
into a small group, which was really just my friends. And that was really where I found my social community outside of work was other people. None of them were journalists like I was. One was an accountant. Some were still working on their undergrads. But we were all around the same age, and we were all trying to make Jesus the center of our lives. Uh, that was was by far the thing I did right. I think the the word of encouragement I'd give to the the twenty year old version of myself is uh, just be patient <laughs> because there's so many things even to this day where I have a sense of okay God's calling on this and He's lining this up and I strive and strain for it and it seems to always happen two or three years later. <laughs> so if, right. you know if you're following God in some area and you're really striving and straining, it's not coming together. Um, I've had ones where it happened two or three years later. I've had ones where it happened seven or ten years later. <laughs> uh, but you know, don't just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean God's not going to do it. Yeah. Bill Pollard, uh, who was a CEO of Service Master for years, I once heard him say this. Uh, he said that life is lived looking forward, understood looking back. That's and that's right. that's, that's what good. we're talking about that here, right? Good. Well, folks, uh, I've got one more question, but I am speaking with Pastor John Dickerson. One more time, John, if someone would be interested in checking out Jesus Skeptic or your other works, learning more about all that you're doing, what's the best way for yeah, them to find you? Yeah, go to johnsdickerson.com or follow me on social media at John S., as in Sam, John S. Dickerson. And uh, I'd love to have you follow me on social media at johnsdickerson.com. You'll see uh, all four of my books, including Jesus Skeptic, which we've talked about a little bit today. That's fantastic. Well, John, the last question that I ask, and I've, I don't know that I've ever missed this one in all the conversations we've done here at Bottom Line Faith. I pose this as just, I simply call it my 423 question, those famous words from Solomon, who said, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life. So, John, if you, uh, you have an opportunity now to give us some above all else advice. So I'd like you to fill in the blank. What would be the most important piece of advice to give to Christ followers living out their faith in the marketplace? So let's complete the sentence. Above all else... Wow. I'm going to go back to the Word of God. You know, above all else, keep the Word of God in your life. And that doesn't mean you need to be reading chapters every day. That's great if you are. It can be as simple as a verse. I've found even a half of a sentence of a verse, you take that one principle and you actually apply it one day at a time, that's what keeps you rooted to the Word of God. And and I'd say because we're talking to leaders and doers, most of us have goals lists or some kind of, you know, annual goals or whatever it is. I mean, for your personal life, not just for your work. And um, if you don't have one, uh, that's a great practice. And weave some scripture into that. If you don't yet have a life purpose statement or a life mission statement, you know, where you say, as an eternal soul, I exist to delight in my creator by knowing his son and that, you know, I'm quoting my own, but every day I revisit those goals. These are my goals for the year. I've actually got those going back to age 17. Wow. Um, and by God's grace, he has accomplished most of them, but scripture's woven in with them and my identity as a follower of Christ is woven in with them. And so that is what enables me to keep my heart. Um, I can't improve on what Solomon said, right? Above all else, keep your heart. You, I, you can't do better than that. And so how do you do that? It's one day at a time saying, here's what I'm aiming for today. Here's why I'm doing it. Here's who I am in Christ. Yeah. I'll tell you, my, my takeaway as we wind down our conversation is I, I was just really impressed to learn 
that it was the Word of God, and the taking away of that as a foundational principle that causes us to get off mission. And you just reminded us, even if it's just a little dose every day, keeping rooted in the Word of God is going to keep us on mission. Did I get that? Amen. All right. Amen. So that's fantastic. Well, well, John, thanks for being our guest here today. My privilege. This, this is fun. I hope we can do this again well, because less, yeah. it feels to me like we just scratched the surface. <laughs> <I think> so. <laughs> so folks, we have been speaking with Pastor John Dickerson, the lead pastor at Connection Point Christian Church. And uh, check out his website as he shared with us, johnsdickerson.com, particularly his project, his book, Jesus Skeptic. It's a journalist, explores the credibility and impact of Christianity. And folks, that is really at the essence what we're trying to do here at Bottom Line Faith. As I said earlier, it's eternal business in real life, and so we want to we want to be credible in the marketplace, and we want to have an impact. And so it's both eternal and it's both current, and that's what we've talked about today. So uh, we just hope you've been encouraged by our conversation with John, and check us out on all the social media platforms as well at truthatwork.org is our website. We are the host ministry here at Bottom Line Faith. You can find us online as well. And go to bottomlinefaith.org to subscribe to the program and check out not only more of the time that we've had with Pastor John, but the 150 or 60, I lose count, interviews we've done there and posted. So until next time, I am your host at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith every day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 